Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 78 of the podcast. I get to sit down with uh, entrepreneur, nonprofit CEO, and incredible preacher Danielle Strickland. In our conversation today, Danielle shares her heart about what it means to empower the voiceless, to give the microphone to somebody who maybe has never held it before, and to walk with them in a journey to where God's called them to. We also talk about some of her disciplines on how she um, practices what she calls aggressive compassion, and she shares her heart and so much more. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Danielle. And uh, if you like it, please do me a favor, leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our goal is to try to get to 100 reviews by the end of the year, and your help with that is so much appreciated. Also, please do me a favor, share this episode with a friend. It would mean so much to me. And without any further ado, here's my conversation with Danielle Strickland. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have with me Danielle Strickland. Danielle is an advocate. She's a speaker. She's a nonprofit extraordinaire. Danielle, thank you so much for for being here today. Oh, yeah. You got it. What a joy. Thanks for having me. Um, one of the things that I have uh, appreciated about getting into your work is that is that you take um, really seriously the practice of getting people's voices out. And you, you do that in a number of ways through your nonprofits, the Women Speaker Collective. But, um, but one of the things on your website that I love is aggressive compassion. And I think that begins with the voice. I, I'm curious, where did that start for you? How did you get into this thought process like, man, we, we need more Christians to speak up in the world and more people to use their voice in clear ways. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's a gospel imperative. I think this is, uh, Jesus sets us a great example for this is not only, you know, championing other people, but giving other people the opportunity to use their voice. So, and I mean, there's some really specific ways, like there's a, in Luke's gospel, one of my favorites is when he raises the young boy that was dead, he raises him back to life. And then the next verse, it says that he began to speak to his mother. And there's just something about, um, you know, allowing people to speak for themselves or when the woman, you know, with the issue of blood touches Jesus's garment and he has this conversation and doesn't leave it. He says, you know, why did you do this? And, you know, the woman herself is terrified. This is, you know, against all the religious systems and laws, but there's, there's obviously something in her finding her voice and exercising it. And then of course, Jesus doesn't condemn her. He actually invites her into his covering and family. And so there's something about releasing people's voice to speak for themselves that is about the empowering practices of healing and wholeness uh, in the life of Jesus. And I, I've just found that to be true in uh, my life in terms of how I've journeyed with people. Um, when they find their own voice, there's, a, there's an empowering that happens in their, in their own callings. That's key. Now, what do, what do you say to the person that uh, might be listening who's like, oh, I don't know if I have a voice or should I have a voice or they haven't sorted through that? How do you take people through the journey of identifying what their voice is? Um, because certainly there's, there's not a shortage of information in the world. Yeah, I think um, this is a really good question because I think that everybody's story and everybody's voice matters for what mm -hmm. it is that they're called to do. So it's not that everybody has a voice that's supposed to be, you know, on a stage or like writing a book or something like that. And this is the problem is we function 
with um, just being with presence, with uh, being present in the world and who you are. So your voice matters in terms of you finding it for yourself. So realizing that you have something to say, that your voice matters. But also to the people who talk to yourself, uh, means to be like a whole you know, person in the world and a contributing part of making a better world. So that's kind of key. So how that voice is your inner voice, having your own story and beats is key for I think that's I think that's a great point. And I think oftentimes uh, comparison kills voice is, is kind of what I hear you saying is that when we go and we, we try to compare each other to each other's stories, like, oh, man, that story is definitely worth hearing. Um, but maybe my story isn't. H- how do we how do we get into a practice of of lifting up each other's stories versus trying to say that one is better than the other or worthy of a stage or not worthy of a stage? Yeah, any thoughts on how we live into that tension? Yeah. I mean, I think we should just get rid of stages personally. Uh, that'll go. help. And then two, I think that, uh, hello COVID think, by the way. <laughs> exactly. Maybe God could help us with that. Oh, wait a minute. He just did. I think too, it's, uh, I think curiosity is one of the great, um, things to develop, uh, like one of the great attributes of wonderful liberated people. They're curious. Mm-hmm. And so, and I would say that this is true of your own life. Like get curious about your own, story and how you work and how life goes and the people around you. And, and I think that's part of how you amplify other people's voices too, is you just get curious about who they are. And the more curious you are about people, like people are incredible, like they're complex and beautiful and terrible. And, you know, I mean, they're every, I've never met a person that's boring. I mean, I've met people that think they're boring, but I've never actually met a boring person. They're like this crazy bundle of you know, astounding on so many levels and fascinating. So I think the more curious we are, the more liberated we are to understand that everybody's story is part of making a better story together. Like all of us contributing to the kind of world we want to live in. And we, we need everybody to do that. So everybody's story matters. I think the more curious you are, even about your own story. So again, this is sort of like, we can even be comparative in, in our own life. So like I can, I can, start telling a story that I want to be the story people hear that isn't even authentic or true. Uh, and how you can tell that of course is by the way you live, right? If you're not actually living what it is you're speaking, which is most of the time, like most of us are, are so used to a dualistic, uh, kind of life and uh, a disintegrated life that our stories don't feel true and don't ring true. And so they don't have really any power because all the power story is in truth. So I think cultivating a curious life about what is true about who you are and your experience and who the people around you are. That's where all the the power is. Even if that truth means that you're just a hot mess, which is how I feel most of the time. Like it's uh, just kind of a hot mess, but there's a lot of power and truth and relatability to that. And and people want that. I think, I think that's a great point. Yeah. And even to, and even to be able to put voice to the struggle, right? Because that's that struggle that you experience of being a hot mess is, is a struggle that is common to all of human experience. So that's when you can start to relate to people and connect with people and where that story of your struggle becomes actually a common human story of, of uh, resilience. I'm, I'm curious in your story, where did this, um, aggressive compassion, what's it born out of? Because I, I don't find that many people um, approach 
compassion with such, uh, uh, you know, force as I, as I see in your work. Um, it, did this, is this something that happened in your childhood or where did, where's it kind of born out of? Well, you know, it's interesting that this is a thing. Like I just put the word aggressive in front of this is my husband's description of me, by the way, but uh, you just put the uh, aggressive in front of compassion, but the actual word compassion, at least in Hebrew is very aggressive, right? It's like, you know, moved in the deepest part of my bowels. <laughs> so like, and I don't know about you, but like it, when I moved in the deepest part of my bowels, like I got to go somewhere quick. You know what I mean? Like right, I'm moving yeah. heaven and earth to get somewhere. So I think the word compassion is actually quite an aggressive, forceful word. Uh, but we've just kind of placated it in a hallmark fashion, you know, to mean like just, you know, being kind or something. Uh, but compassion has always got a, you know, aggressive force to it. It's, it's moved to do something, you know, not just to feel bad about something. So for me, I guess that the narrative I was really raised in a very, you know, in the Salvation Army, which is a very uh, aggressive organization in terms of the military, uh, you know, it uses a military metaphor and it is about fighting, you know, the darkness and, you know, going into dark places and trying to shine the light and uh, fighting back against despair. So a lot of the sort of military forcefulness and my, you know, upbringing. My parents were both orphans who were rescued by people who went into mm. neighborhoods to try to see if there weren't some kids. You know, so it's all very like this is a thing we do. A, a compassion, something that's done and not just felt. I appreciate that. I I was in the army uh, reserves for fourteen years, and I I love to tell people that the church, when I think it, it's done right resembles the is the closest thing that I ever found to resemble the army in terms of work, right? You know, you always place the mission first. I'll never accept defeat. I'll never leave a fallen comrade. You know, those kind of ethos are ethos that I think should live in the church. And that's one of the things that I find so relatable personally with your story is that Salvation Army mindset is a good mindset. Do you, do you find that sometimes it's uh, when you're out at working with churches or consulting that that uh, that mindset is a barrier for you? Um, I think when that mindset becomes a barrier for me, because it's so normal for me to think in those terms, but when it becomes a barrier or when I've realized where it's problematic for me is compassion for most of my life through my Selfish Army experience has been directed to others. And I haven't really had a whole lot for myself. Mm. And I think, you know, that's probably been my greatest growth area in the last probably decade is just like that same compassion that moves me to help others to get in the way of injustice, to fight uh, for freedom, for people that need it. It needs to be matched by that same compassion that I receive from a compassionate God and to, to apply some of that same compassionate practices to my own life itself has been really important to learn. I love that. And I think sometimes um, there's a term that we use in the army a lot called battle fatigue. And I, th I think we underestimate how often that can happen in the church because prolonged stress leads to battle fatigue, which leads to the battle stare and all of the things that I've seen in, in myself and, and I've seen in other friends and pastors and things like that. Um, is, yeah. And I, I, I figured out, you know, cause one of the ways I practice my faith is through this thing called infinitum. Oh, that's exactly has, where I was headed. I want, I have so many questions about that surrender, generosity okay. and mission. Yeah. Yeah. And that the generosity posture, which I try to practice every day, what was a game changer for that in me was that generosity is reciprocal. Mm. So I always thought of generosity is just like giving more, 
and uh you know and in some measures it didn't even count if it didn't hurt you know what i mean like it just real uh you know military approach to generosity <laughs> until i really realized that you, you really can't give uh what you don't have and then also you can't keep giving if you're not receiving there's just no way it just becomes another version of stingy mm-hmm. Um, and so I realized that to be truly generous and of course, Jesus spelled this out to the disciples when he sent them out, he said, freely you've received now freely give like that with that, with that's what generosity looks like is this free gift that you give to people out of what you freely receive. So I started realizing that I was pretty decent at the giving out, but I was pretty, uh, you know, small and stingy about the giving in and receiving. So that's really that, but those things need to go together because then you have other people who are great at receiving and terrible at giving either way. You're going to stop breathing. If one's inward and one's outward, right? If you're always just inhaling and never exhaling, you're going to die. Oh, that's that's (laughs) And the same true of exhale without inhaling. So just really this idea of this reciprocity, like this, this generosity in and generosity out and generosity in and, and that this is just actually a way of life. Can we, can we talk through some of the postures a little bit? Because I, I get this sense as I uh, look at some of this stuff, but it's, it's, it's spiritual, it's emotional, and it's physical. How, how do you incorporate these postures with the infinitum practice um, in, into your daily life? Yeah, so what the rhythm of infinitum, and this is, again, like people have asked me my whole life, you know, like, what about balance? What about balance? What about balance? And I remember, like, I was trying to find balance in the scripture, you know, where Jesus said, you know, blessed are those who are perfectly balanced, uh, for they'll inherit a holistic life, you know? Like, right. And uh, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't find it anywhere. I, I couldn't find it in the scriptures. I couldn't find it in the church history. I couldn't find it in contemporary <laughs> movements. And I, I realized, oh, I see. It's a myth. You know, it doesn't even exist. And also, like, what a dumb, what a dumb aim, you know. Uh, but what maybe a better aim is sort of a holistic life, a life that, that lives out of fullness. And so um, I find rhythm to be a better word for me than balance. So healthy rhythms that may, make my life sustainable and make my life uh, deeper as well as wider. So I practiced these three postures because we, a bunch of us got together. We sort of asked ourselves, like, are we living this healthy, beautiful, am I following Jesus today? Like, is my life deep and wide? Like, am I, you know, am I open-handed with my life because I've got stuff to give, you know? And we, you know, we just realized maybe not, like maybe we weren't as robust as we would like to be. And so we, we, we developed some of these things and we asked ourselves, you know, what does it like look like to live a life with Jesus? is at the center of it it looks like love it should look like love mm-hmm. and but what does love look like because our culture's just kind of neutered the word so uh we decided that for us love looked like living surrendered and living generous and living others focused or missionally and so these became postures that we understood that we could practice every day that would create a rhythm of sustainability and uh, also resilience in our lives and spiritual sort of growth so what it looks like is daily, I do a daily prayer. It's a, a physical prayer. It's usually confession and declaration of these. I de- declare today, I want to live a surrendered and a generous and an others focused life. And then it's a regular connection with what we call a hub, which is a couple of spiritual friends that will journey with us on this mm-hmm. intentionally into depth. So we're not just having a whole bunch of shallow conversations or even functional conversations, but we got some journeying people around us who are actually asking us deep, beautiful, meaningful questions about those uh, postures. And then monthly, uh, a challenge of some kind to, uh, challenge my, to practice my faith in a way that maybe I would naturally do. 
So that can be driven by Infinitum itself, like they send out challenges if you want uh, them, or it can actually just be driven by what God's telling you to do uh, this month. That's beautiful. Is, is your, I noticed that you're doing an online prayer experience. Is that part of that kind of practice? Yeah. So uh, once a month, I uh, host, like anyone who's ever done anything with my team, um, which, you know, from like, maybe they designed my website or did some graphic project or they're like my uh, assistant or they've done some emails or they volunteered as an intern. Like it doesn't really matter. But if you've been part of working with me, I invite you to this uh, regular rhythm of a day of prayer uh, once mm. a month, which is really just where we also practice. We try to really cultivate silence in the prayer time, which is weird because we do it together. So it's like hilarious, but um, <laughs> it's because we work. I'm a communicator. All I do is talk, you know, and so I'm trying to practice the other set of muscles required to really a robust spirituality, which is listening and uh, learning to just shut up and tune in to what God might be saying and just even silence and solitude to live with myself for a while without talking. And so we get together and do that. And then in the season of COVID, of course, we couldn't get together. So we just uh, did it on Zoom. And then we just realized, wait a minute, this might be a rhythm that other people might want to practice too. So then we just extended an invitation for people if they wanted to join us, um, that they could join us in sort of a guided half day of prayer. So that's that's what we're doing. We're just trying it out. If it's helpful to any leader that wants to give this a go, you get a, a little guidebook uh, of varying exercises that you can do during the time that you set apart. Uh, we gather together to do like a little collective exercise at the beginning and off you go with your guidebook for a couple hours of silent prayer. And then we come back and we share, and we pray with one another. And uh, it's been a really life-giving practice for a lot of people. And sometimes we know it's a good practice, but we don't have anybody to do it with, or we don't know how to do it. Or, you know, so this is just an opportunity to say, Hey, here's how we do it. If you want to do it with us, that's great. Have you noticed a changing things in your, um, in your, with your colleagues in terms of, you know, the, the team that prays together kind of works better together. Is, has that been true for your organizations? Oh yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, it's really interesting to hear your colleague, like people that you love and work with, uh, sharing what God's been telling them. You know, there's a real shared sort of collective sense that we're all discovering what God has called us to do. So it's a lot less like, you know, what's in it for me, you know? So like I might have a colleague that can serve me, sure, but I can see because of I've been journeying with her, listening to what God's saying to her, that there's ways we can partner that will serve what God wants to do in her and me, you know? And then that becomes this beautiful you know, collaboration of us doing kingdom work together. It's, it's less about, you know, a lot less hierarchical and a lot more collective and celebrating God's callings. Things. One of the things that I hear a lot is that people are really afraid that they're going to do this wrong. And I don't know if I necessarily subscribe to the, the thought process that there's a wrong way to do it, but ha, do you, um, in these rhythms of life, of surrender, generosity, and mission, how do you go about evaluating movement or success. I, I don't really like the word success. I just can't think of another one. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, there's a couple of ideas I have that the only wrong thing I would say is to try to do it alone. Hmm. And I, I, you know, I wouldn't even use the w- word wrong. I would just, I would use the word incomplete probably like you're not going to get far by yourself in this because we never were called to a, a solitude life. The kingdom of God is communal and God is communal. So 
I think that that's a big, big mistake we make in a highly individualized culture. We keep thinking that we can't do it if we're disciplined enough, if we, you know, that, that this life is a solo journey and we can kind of be the Hercules of spiritual uh, power. That um, <laughs> doesn't exist. There's no such thing. We are called to do this together. So I would say the only wrong thing would be to do it by yourself, which again would be another, you know, way of lacking a measurement because you're not going to tell yourself that, you know, you're not doing so hot <laughs> or, <laughs> right. you know, you're being a hypocrite or, or maybe you will tell yourself that it's not even true. Right. So like, I think yeah. just if you, if you do this by yourself, you're probably not going to do it well. So that's why, I mean, as much as possible, I try to get people to start thinking collectively, like start thinking in community, like start trying to cultivate some spiritual friendships. And one of the things I've discovered as I've been doing this uh, infinitive journey myself, and then also with others around the world is that it's really hard to do it together. Like to cultivate spiritual friendships is so difficult in a busy, frantic, disconnected world. Yeah. And I've realized that the very thing that is the secret to sort of a successful, robust spiritual life, which is this communal, collective friendship journey, you know, together is the thing that's the hardest thing to do. And it's hard for leaders because we haven't, we don't know what vulnerability looks like and we've been burned and nobody knows what humanness looks like because we have these like crazy ideals that aren't through and so we're just projecting these great lives and then living these hollow sort of empty <laughs> lives and so I mean there's it's very complicated but just beginning to journey with some uh, friends into a journey of depth together that that's the way I think that we can uh, we can figure out how to do this well how do we get past the objection that journeying together um it is going to hurt us, you know, that, that it becomes too vulnerable or it becomes too, too hard. Cause I, what I've found is that uh, disciple making or spiritual friendships like that, like it cuts to the core of my own weaknesses and it makes me super vulnerable. H- how do we convince people who've maybe never taken that step before to, to take the first step into those relationships? Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. So we have actually, we just created a guide cause this was so hard for people, you know, yeah. But we created like a literal like how to uh, in terms of like what even what one hour conversation around spirituality looks like in a in a hub in a practice, mm. which is and we just spell it out. This isn't counseling, you know, like so I will say to people like in a hub, uh, this sounds complicated and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to recommend that you go see a counselor. <laughs> this is like <laughs> right. I, I, yeah. this is out of my this is out of my league. This isn't what I'm doing. But, you know, I've had a couple of hub uh you know, members myself that I've been hubs with that are spiritual leaders who I've said, this sounds like an area that you need to sort out emotionally. And I recommend a counselor who have gotten counseling and have said, changed my life. Uh, you know, and if it weren't for this person journeying with me together, I wouldn't have had the, you know, the yes to go ahead and do those things that will help me be healthier. So I think it's a really interesting sort of, you know, it's not counseling, Right. Uh, and sometimes people think that's what it is, but it's not that it's a spiritual accompaniment, right? Like it's a spiritual pal, a spiritual friend. And so I think it takes some practice. I would say that you, you do it, you know, and that's the other problem is I wish I could explain it to you, but actually this, this life requires some practice. So you're not always going to get it right, but you, you are going to understand that without it, you're getting it wrong. So 
So I, I come out of the Methodist tradition, and one of the things that I have found to be so incredibly life-giving is uh, I'm in a band meeting with other pastors, and we, we get together once a week, and we confess our sins to each other. And, uh, and it, there's a, a series of questions that Wesley came up with, and you probably heard 22. before. 22. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we don't do all of them, <laughs> but it, it's, this is what I found. And, and it's, I'm guessing it's the same thing, right? With these hubs, like it's, it's the scariest thing I do every week, but I never regret it when it's over. You know, yeah, like it, and it's I would, so life-giving. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if Wesley met Bill Wilson from AA, that is infinitive. Like, yeah. Oh, that's a question. That's a it's, beautiful it's, picture. Yeah, so it's it's Methodism at its best. It's 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 the bands for sure. It's the holy club. Let's bring it back. Yeah. But without all the uh, external holy requirements, yeah. you know what I mean? Like with yeah. a little bit more, right. like we're all in this together, and right. you know we want to do it together. We know we're not. Yeah. Like, so I also grew up in a holiness tradition. That's what I was trying to say. Holiness tradition. So again, it was all this. I, I just thought I don't want to make another thing that's like hard for me to measure up to. Like I've got so many things in my life that I, I started for self denial. I started giving up things I had already denied. You know, I'm like I'm out. I got nothing <laughs> else to give up. <laughs> that's- um, so I think it's so easy to approach. That's why I even sometimes I, I wince at the word accountability, right? Because we're so right. used to accountability meaning like hard and someone's like holding you to account as though you're answering to someone. And I, I prefer the word sort of fellow pilgrim, you know, or journey or spiritual friendship uh, because it's much more like we're in this together. And I think that's how Wesley did it too. But it just, um, for me, there was just this overemphasis on like performance and it, external codes versus internal dialogue. Like, for example, in generosity, in her generosity, to, I thought it was about money, you know? Right. <laughs> and she's like, I just realized that even when I look at people, sometimes I, I don't think generously about them. Mm. Like, I'll think to myself, like, oh, brother, you know? Or like, in my thoughts, I'm stingy towards people. And myself, even I'm stingy towards myself. So she's like, I've been really convicted. Like I need to be generous in my thought life. And I remember just going like, Oh my word. Or like, I had not even ever thought of generosity as a way of thinking, but it was life changing for me because I realized actually that's so true. I'm stingy in my thoughts and I'm stingy in my thoughts towards myself even. And what would it look like if even my thoughts were generous, you know? And so I think it's a little bit more than like living up to some external code and a little bit more cultivated towards these rhythms and postures. I think that's great. And what I appreciate is that you really do practice what you preach. So um, I I really got to know you through a a Boundless Voices event, which is uh, an event on how to help um, build up that kind of that muscle of speaking. And one of the things that I did is I signed up to be connected to a group of people, a partnership. And so um, we've been connecting since the event. And uh, I told them that I was going to interview you today. And they, I said, Hey, I'm going to, we got, we got a free chance to uh, interview Danielle. What are the, what questions do each of you have? So um, I'm going to kind of wrap up some of our time together with three questions for my platform partners, if that's okay with you. That's so cool. I love it. I love it. That's great. Uh, okay. So for Melanie, Melanie was interested in hearing about your first writing experience and the courage that it takes to actually press send to get it out there. 
Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Um, I guess for me, a lot of my early writing was uh, blog, you know, when blogs were uh, really popular and the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it was really just about, you know, I would see these things, I would see these things happening. I just wanted the uh, discipline to express it, like to bring these things together. So it was just an outlet for me to express uh, another uh, sort of thing. And for me, you know, I, my natural personality is like, I do it and then think about it later. and. Mm. So I just, I don't have any angst on the front end. I usually have like a lot of regret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're but speaking my language not much there. Angst. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I don't, I, so it's just like when you feel the angst is really the personality type, right? So mine's usually at the end, not at the beginning. But uh, for the most part, I just hit send and walk away. Like I just don't pay any attention. And I actually think that's not a bad practice in some ways, right? Just to do what sure. it is that you feel called to do and not worry about how it's received or even like, what it means for you, like followers and likes. Like I think all this kind of social media land can be so paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this perfection in our way, we're never going to be, we're never going to be perfect. I did hear a blog recently. What was it? Or, or no, I heard a podcast of somebody who wrote a bunch of books and somebody wrote into them saying, do you still stand by what you wrote in your early books? And who was it? Oh, it's Rob. It was Rob Bell. Uh-huh. And it was a really interesting, it was a really interesting podcast because what he decided to do was he decided to read excerpts of some of his old books and then have a conversation about what he thought about that now. And so he reads these excerpts. And what was really interesting about the exercise was that he said, ah, here's what was going on for me then. Wow. Like, here's what I was discovering. So rather than this was right or this was wrong, yet one more time, it was like, this is where I was at and what I was learning and what God was telling me. So it's not like I stand beside it, like it's some abstract truth, but I understand where I was and what God was doing. And I was faithful to what, you know, he told me to do. And that's all I've got, you know, is faithfulness to to what I'm experiencing at the time. And I thought that was a really refreshing way. You're being faithful to what God's asking you to do. Press send. That's yeah, it. And, I, and honestly, if we stay with an author long enough, I'd like to see their, them grow, <laughs> right? Like, like the from book right. one to book, I mean, you're on your your sixth book that's coming out in February. I, you know, like yeah. I'm interested to see that growth in you yeah. as an author and speaker and all those things. So that's yeah. that's really good. Yeah. Okay. Question two from uh, from Missy. She says there's uh, there's so much division in the world. How do believers um, live out their life to be the the best example and and without creating more division? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Uh, so the three things I used is uh, from my peacemaking work with Amplify Peace, and it's listen, learn, and live. And I do, I just repeat that over and over again. So I listen intentionally. This is that cultivating a curious posture. So I, I, I try to listen as much as I can to other people, to what's going on, to understand, you know, like it's really an interesting, anyway, to cultivate a life that listens and not just listening to dominant voices, but to voices that aren't normally heard. I think that's a really good practice as a leader. So to listen and then to learn, to constantly be like, what else don't I know? You know, Mm -hmm. so the co-founder of Amplify Peace is Lisa Jernigan. And she always says this question because she had this unraveling of what she thought she had I had understood about God and about faith and about her, her own journey in life. And she says now, like with absolute joy, she'll say, I wonder what else I was wrong about. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it. I'm just like, yeah, what a freeing, like, I wonder what else I was wrong about. Like, 
And uh, so learning and then living, which is of course, implement, implement, implement. Why does this matter? Because if it, if, it, if it doesn't matter, then let's not, let's not do that. That's a waste of time. So, and then just repeat, uh, listen some more into some other voices mm. and then learn something beautiful about yourself and the world and God and, you know, this, this ever evolving, uh, increasing capacity. And I, I think that's actually make peace. I think that's how we, you know, really stop all this like us versus them and polarization and division and you know arrogance and cynicism like it's just so terrible right now you know especially in sort of the american narrative yeah um and i think i honestly think some of those things just if we would listen if we would learn if we would live we would be better and we would help the world be better that's a that's actually the perfect transition into uh the last question from chris which is um in this season how do you lean into hope Oh, yeah, I, I, I tune into God, yeah. uh, you know, the apostle Paul, one of my favorite descriptions of himself is he calls himself a prisoner of hope, <laughs> which I just love. Like I'm a prisoner of hope. Like I don't have any option because right. this future is, uh, is, is all going to be redeemed. Like the world's going to be restored. Like everything is being reconciled to what it always was meant to be. And this is the hope of the gospel, right? So, you know, it's, it's Jesus. I mean, it sounds so ridiculous to say that, but uh, it's absolutely true. Like Jesus gives me hope and, uh, and hope, you know, is an eternal currency. It's, I'm going to invest. The more I invest in hope, the more hope grows. It's never going to be a bad investment. So it's prayer. It's, uh, it's postures. It's fixing my eyes on what God's up to instead of Mm. uh, the dominance spirit of the culture of the age. I mean, the devil's a liar. Amen. So, you know, even this idea of like, everything's going to hell and like, you know, it's all going to be like, it's like, I, that devil's a liar. Like that's what the devil does. Use despair to kill, steal and destroy. And it's not Pollyanna hope. It's that God has a plan that's bigger than, uh, that, that's bigger than we could ever even possibly comprehend. And so it's investing my life in that hope. That really is, I, I think Jesus is, Jesus is hope. And the more I'm connected to him, the more hopeful I am about the world. That'll preach any day of the week. I love right? that message. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so I, I know that my uh, listeners and friends are going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Can you tell us about where the best place is? And also, you got some exciting stuff happening with, with Right Side Up and your, your podcast and then a book coming out in February that I'm, I'm super excited to get my hands on. Yeah. So, um, the book came out better together. So get your hands on that. Oh, my bad. I read that completely wrong. I apologize. No, that's okay. It's all good. Uh, The book came out and then kind of like a global pandemic happened. And, uh, so then there's that, right? Right. (laughs) Right. So then there's that. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, you can get your hands on that as, as you like. Um, daniellestrickland.com has all the places. Uh, if you wanted to all, you know, on Instagram and my, link in my bio link there's also all the places if you want to journey with me on a bunch of different projects uh if the day of prayer sounds helpful even to try uh you can join me for that anytime um yeah and all the things are there so uh the right side up podcast that's just the danielle strickland podcast and the season's right side up and it's really i mean i'm so excited about it because it's the it's upside down it's right or right side up according to jesus so I've asked a lot of folks with some pretty big platforms to join me, but uh, instead of asking them the questions, I've asked them to ask the real kingdom experts the questions. Hmm. So this latest ep- episode is Bob Goff asking Alice from Rwanda, who's a genocide survivor, uh, 
uh, about uh, the blessing of mourning and how to, wow. how she felt comforted. And the first episode was uh, Christine Kane asking uh, my friend, a trafficking survivor, Tannis, about the blessing of poverty of spirit. And uh, the third episode is Craig Rochelle asking Jayakumar Christian, who's an Indian, like, uh, incredible, uh, empowering leader about the blessing of meekness. Uh, so it's just, it's just like what's happening, right? Like it really, every episode, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so deep on so many levels and, uh, and so much fun to really explore from kingdom experts and practitioners. And again, finding voices that we need to hear from and we need to listen to from all around the globe to understand the depth of what Jesus is calling us to as a, as a church. Um, it's, it's just been an incredible experience for me. I've loved it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, go uh, subscribe to that podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It's best to look for it under the Daniel Strickland podcast. Is that the best way? Yep. Daniel Strickland podcast. It's just the latest season. Yeah. It's called Right Side Up. Awesome. Uh, Danielle, yeah. thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. I, I really do appreciate it. Oh, you got it. I'm so glad we could do this. Thanks for your great questions and keep on. I just so appreciate the way that Danielle talks about surrender, generosity, mission, and how important it is to amplify peace in the world around her. Uh, I think she's just an incredible voice. I have so many notes on this issue on this episode that I'm I'm positive that you got something good out of it. Do me a favor, follow Danielle on all the socials. Let her know that you heard her on the podcast and you appreciate her being on. And, uh, and share the episode. Also, don't forget, we're trying to get to 100 views by the end of the year. Your help is so greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and I look forward to connecting again real soon.